Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. High in the air, Brito back at the wall. Adios, Pelota! That's the type of manager that I'd like to be, which is the same every day. They know what they're going to get. They're going to get energy. They're going to get accountability. They're going to get structure, and they're going to get support. And I'm going to bring those things to the dugout in the clubhouse regularly. It takes hard work, uh, and it takes humility, taking one step forward at a time, making one good baseball move after another. And I really feel like that's how we're going to get where we hope and intend to go. You're listening to Bags and Brisby on Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode number 203 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. I am Grant Brisby. I'm here with Andy Baggerly. And Andy, 203 career runs scored for the Giants from Eddie Stanky. And that is a good way to learn that Eddie Stanky played for the Giants. And it's also a good segue because speaking of Stanky... <laughs> We're here to talk about the Giants. I was going to make the terrible joke. This is a really bad joke, and I'm about to. Oh, you beat me to it. You beat me to it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. I mean, there's nothing. We have done this podcast uh, since 2019, so we haven't seen a lot of stinky baseball, stinky baseball. But at the same time, we we've had our, our share. Uh, we've had some stretches. This is probably the biggest, longest, most extended stretch of bad baseball that we've had to try and describe uh, on a podcast. How are you holding up? I mean, you know, in a way, um, when you're you know a reporter or you're uh, you know writing content or what what have you, um, you are looking for what's unusual. What are outliers? What are things that stand out? And I mean, this is really unusual. This is really extreme. Uh, that they're they've basically um, they're zero and eleven against NL West teams uh, since the All Star break. It's the longest losing streak they've had to divisional opponents uh, since divisions became a thing in 1969. And, of course, uh, eight of those losses are to the Dodgers, and this is the longest losing streak, or matches the longest losing streak, that either the Dodgers or Giants have had against each other since the teams moved to California in 1958. So, I mean, you look at things like that, and you're like, this is history, so we can admire and appreciate history to a point. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> But but yeah, if if you're going through it, especially, you think it's tough to watch. I mean, imagine imagine being in that Giants clubhouse and just how demoralizing everything has been. And you'd stack the trade deadline on top of it, and your other teams in your division getting better, not just this year, but for the, you know for the next couple of years. Um, it, it's a lot. It, it's a lot to kind of process, and not everybody is processing it in the best way. Yeah, one way to put it is that the official media Twitter account for the Giants. Uh, after the Giants were swept by the Dodgers, they had they had a lot of that history. This is the first time they've been swept in a four-game series since 1977. And they started one of their tweets with, furthermore, comma, and then they went on to more stats about just how surprising and historic all of this is. It's it's hard you it's hard to put into words. Uh, I'm wondering how much we should go into the stinky play, the stinky play, and 
just focus on the trade deadline? I don't know. What Do you want to diagnose, dissect the Giants? Do you want to go into the trade deadline, the inaction, the action? What is your, uh, what's your preference here, Bags? Oh, gosh, we can knock it all out. But I will say, I, I thought <laughs> the use of the word furthermore was also um, very interesting. And, and I almost got a chuck a lot of it. It was oh, almost it was like gallows, gallows humor. Like, and if that's not enough, <laughs> furthermore. Um, but just to be clear, that's the, that's the SF Giants official media Twitter account. So that is the one that is, uh, it's actually a private account where they will often send out some of their roster moves and lineups. So it's not something that the general public is privy to, but, um, but yeah, that, that, I, I don't think that's one that they want to put on their, their big boy SF Giants Twitter account. The, the replies would probably not be so wonderful. Did you see that Alex uh, Pavlovich locked the replies on his lineup tweet yesterday? No, no, I he, did not. So he tweeted the lineup out and disabled replies. And I think that's the funniest freaking thing I've ever ever seen. Just, just, <laughs> just, I don't want to hear it. An acknowledgement, straight up, like save it, and uh, you know, bless him for it. I think it was uh, very practical and clever. And people were mad. People were on the quote tweets going, "He has a professional obligation to listen to me talk about Dixon Machado." No, he doesn't, man. No, he did. <laughs> so kudos to to Alex. Yeah, Alex social media as well. He's he's good at it. He really is. And I don't know how he has the the his he must have just this huge file of, of gifs and he's got his favorite he plays the hits and, and he knows exactly when when to use them. He, he, both uh, in replies to uh, sometimes in replies to me, which I always get a laugh out of. But um, yeah, you know what? You're right. You know, we there's there's we don't get paid to, to be on Twitter. Neither one of us needs to be on Twitter. I think we realize that a lot of people follow us, um, and it's a great way to share links to our stories, and that's that's what's important. Um, and to make pithy observations and to you know see what people's reactions are, it's 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 a cure for boredom sometimes. But but yeah, in terms of you know oh you know you are obligated to you know take our toxic abuse um, and listen to us rant. No, we're, no, we're not. We're, we are not obligated to do that. And in fact, this podcast is great because uh, we we don't. There's there's no uh, there's no peanut gallery. It's just you and me. This is awesome. I literally know. I have no idea if. Anyone is listening right now. It just could be you and, and I talking about the Giants, and that's fine with me. It's I'm talking talking baseball with Andrew Bagley. That that is fun for me. But I, yeah, I'm not hearing. I'm not. There's not a comment section, and I do enjoy that because uh, I'm not sure if you've been in the comment section of an article you've written recently. Uh, Giants fans are mad. Giants fans are uh, they're a little mad right now. Yeah, you know it's um, it really has sparked some conversation about just where. They are as an organization. I know you've written about it. I've written about it. You've uh, started to uh, compare them to the, the roster churn of 2019 and feeling like we're right back in that boat, which is obviously um, something we thought we'd all moved on from, uh, especially with the success last season. Um, and you know, I think that probably the best analogy or the most apt one that, that I think I've made is. Uh, calling 2021 20, uh, a sand painting. It was beautiful to look at, but, you know, here comes a gust of wind and it's all gone. And that's basically where the Giants are now. And and now you, you add the Padres with having one Soto uh, added to their mix and, and the Dodgers just, you know, totally outclassing the Giants at every turn. Um, I mean, there wasn't even a one-run win in these eight 
eight losses to the Dodgers. The Dodgers, you know, won them all by multiple runs. And uh, so, yeah, it, it's, I think there's a lot of sort of big picture, what do we make of this? And, and what does this say about, you know, the, the people in charge? And, and where, where should the accountability be? I think everyone is, is mad. And now we're turning to, okay, who do we hold accountable? And that is both fair and unfair, I would say. And I'm trying to, to figure this out. I'm trying to solve the equation to how much trust was earned last year and in the second half of 2020 how much should we put how much stock should we put into that because if the giants had won 88 games last year i would have been thrilled i would have been heck yeah this is the right direction this is uh, they've got every cuz 88 games coming into last season that would have been an achievement that would have been a winning season it would have been a competitive season they blew past that and so you had extra goodwill, you had extra uh, extra good vibes that they accumulated, and it seems like those were all sand painting as well. Those good vibes, that good feeling, disappeared just as quickly as anything that would have been earned through an 88-win season. And now you're getting – it's like the pendulum has swung too far back where people are saying, fire Farhan, fire Kapler, this is the worst after uh, four months and really just three months of awful play – and I get the anger and I get the accountability, but I think the pendulum's a little bit too far in the other direction. I don't know. But then you go back to 2019 and not much has changed since then. So maybe not. I, I can't solve that equation. Yeah. You know, I think people just want a bold move. They want a, they want a, a star player. And, and I think the Buster Posey's retirement left a vacuum that I don't think this front office or this organization really uh, appreciated just how big of a vacuum that was, both in terms of how many wins and losses it would impact the team this year and also just how it would impact, um, you know, just people's uh, ability to to go identify with players and go be a fan. And I think it's been a big loss on, on both fronts. Um, there have been a lot of assumptions that were made that were bad assumptions. There have been a lot of choices that were made that look really bad in retrospect. I mean, you know, I, I think at the time when they signed Anthony DiSclefani, I was, I, I, I'll say it, I, I first guessed it. I didn't really understand why that was their first priority. And, and they probably should have signed Kevin Gosman instead. And, uh, you know, you look back at um, when they signed Jock Peterson. I, I remember thinking at the time, well, you know, Kyle Schwarber is really the guy who would have fit what they need perfectly. And then at the end of April, you're like, well, gosh, you know, good thing they, they made a brilliant move. They signed Jock Peterson for six million bucks when they could have given Kyle Schwarber, you know, 80 million or whatever. And, uh, you know, obviously Kyle Schwarber sitting there with 34 homers and Jock Peterson really hasn't done anything since April. So um, it's just a lot of evaluations that have just um, backfired. And, uh, and, and not only that, but they didn't really make enough moves uh, in the offseason anyway. And we all kind of knew it, that they put themselves on the on the line a little bit uh, to be criticized if, if this thing went sideways. And boy, it sure has. I do appreciate the urgency and the, the sense of, hey, you're not doing anything. One thing that, I, when the criticism comes that the Giants didn't spend money this offseason, yes, I agree that they had room in their budget, as at least by my calculations, and I expected them <clears throat> to do something a little bit more bold. But when I go through the list of what I would have considered bold moves, uh, I'm not impressed with a lot of what those players are doing, whether it's Nick Castellanos, Trevor Story, Marcus Simeon, Corey Seager, uh, Carlos Correa, I guess you could have come over the top and said, here's $300 million. But he wanted to play shortstop, and at the time, Brandon Crawford's coming off of a, an MVP top 10 finish season. 
I just, I'm not seeing that in the Giants, who the Giants did spend money on, at least in annual value, at least at how much they're paying him in 2022, is Carlos Rodon, in a way, they cracked the free agent market. They nailed it. Maybe not with Desclafani, but with an impact player. They got one of the few guys who is really, really doing well this year. That's not the problem. The problem was uh, too much faith in in the Brandons, too much faith in that veteran lineup staying healthy. Uh, Desclafani, like you said, over Kevin Gossman, not going more towards the top of rotation and building a super rotation rather than, uh, here's a guy, Logan Webb, hopefully can do his thing, and then some pieces underneath. I think those are the problems rather than they didn't make that big splash. They didn't get Trevor's story because, man, I just don't see this team doing anything with even Carlos Correa. This team is still bad. Yeah, no, you make all really good points. And, you know, this is the most unfair game to play is to play free agent, uh, free agent uh, hindsight. Right. But, uh, you know, it's I think you're looking at uh, this is a front office that um, I think we all thought would come in and be super clever. And, and, and we would see things like three team trades and we'd see things like, you know, very early on, there was the um, the the contract dump to get Will Wilson from the Angels and essentially buy a prospect. And you're like, wow, that's brilliant. That's exactly the kind of moves that are going to help the Giants level up quickly. And, you know, obviously Will Wilson doesn't look like the best use of 12 million bucks now. Um, kind of ironic that uh, that um, the, the guy that they traded for uh, from the Angels ended up being their highest paid player in the pandemic year because uh, Zach Cozart's contract was guaranteed. Uh, but anyway, I guess I'm digressing a bit. Um, I, I just, I'm just not seeing the imagination. I'm not seeing the creativity. I'm seeing a lot of uh, the roster churn and a lot of sluicing and panning for gold, and that's leading to some little flex here and there. Mike Yastrzemski is probably the biggest one, and um, you know, Luis Gonzalez does some things really, really well that make you think he could be an everyday player, and then he does some things that are really, really not um, uh, indicative of an everyday player. Um, so, you know, I, I think. Um, uh, yesterday, Greg Papa had me on uh, his show, and he said, we all thought that Luis Gonzalez was going to be the next Lamont Wade Jr. What happened? <laughs> and I'm like, well, Lamont Wade Jr. isn't the next Lamont Wade Jr. right now yeah. either. So, um, you know, where's the creativity? Where, where's the energy? Why, why couldn't they have made a deal and found value for Carlos Rodon, even though, you know, a lot of players weren't moved because probably a lot of those deals weren't there to be made. But that's your job to go out and make those deals and find them. So I, I, I am a little bit disappointed in the lack of creativity in, in, in getting more things done. Uh, Adam Copeland yesterday asked me if I was upset that the Giants didn't trade Carlos Rodon, and I said, I am furious. And he said, wow. And I'm not sure who I'm furious at, though, because am I furious at the Yankees for hemming and hawing over his player option and, and saying, oh, gosh, you know, we just can't afford to give up the prospects to get Carlos Rodon, because if that's the case... Uh, they're silly. They're a silly organization, an unserious organization, at least as far as championship hopes. But if it's, if the Giants had a package of maybe not top 50 prospects, maybe a guy who could sneak in the top 100, maybe a guy who would be in at least one prognosticator's top 100 who fits what the Giants want, and the Giants didn't take that kind of deal, well, I'm a little, I would be a little bit upset with them because that's what needed to happen, not this, oh, there's a 10% chance that we can get everything right on track and and he'll be there. And once we get to the postseason, it's a dominant top two. I don't think that that's realistic at all before the deadline. And since the deadline, it's not as if they've made it more realistic. That It just seems like they could have gotten some value somewhere for him. Yeah, and, and you know it, it's it's hard when you can't really peek behind the curtain to know. I I did hear that also from the twins that uh, they were a little spooked by the Rodon option. You know, it's it's uh, 
it's a risk that a team takes on if they were to acquire him and he were to, you know, blow out in the eight or 10 starts that he'd have, um, then, you know, he would obviously, the only reason he would not opt out um, and, and probably find a $100 million contract this winter is if, is if um, you know, he gets hurt. And then a team that acquires him would be stuck with a guy maybe rehabbing from Tommy John surgery and paying him $22.5 million for the pleasure. Um, so that, that was a real consideration for teams. However, um, I mean, have you watched this guy pitch this year? There's, yes. there's, he's the god of FIP. I mean, he's he's uh, he's fifth fifth highest strikeout rate and 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 fifth best home run rate. I mean, he he keeps the ball in the ballpark. He gets people out all by himself, and he's an absolute you know beast on the mound. So um, I, I just I, I really have a hard time believing that that was a threshold that teams just refused to cross and probably used it to drive down the price a little bit and. So, you know, the the offers were not compelling enough, obviously, to make a deal, or, you know, they just weren't able to create one that was compelling enough. However however you kind of work your way through that, um, you know, I, I think to me the most disappointing part was hearing how the Giants tried to spin this and how Farhan Zaidi tried to spin it by saying, we believe in this group in a couple bad weeks, put us in this position, a couple good weeks can get us out. I mean, it's not a couple bad weeks. This has been a bad baseball team for for three months, and uh, and I just I, the the sort of unfounded optimism it just it just rang so hollow from somebody who you know we're used to getting very clear eyed analysis from, and someone who is a really pragmatic thinker. And to hear him kind of try to spin it that way was just like, buddy, no, that that, that message is not going to sell right now. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're trying to build your fantasy scenario for how the Giants could have those two hot weeks, as he says, uh, I guess Joey Bart continuing to, to turn a corner and look like he can have competitive at-bats. Uh, you could get Tyro Strada, Brandon Crawford, Evan Longoria, Jock Peterson back. They can all get hot. You could, I guess, construct one. I don't know, man. It's it's not You're not going to get the Giants catching the ball 
And of all the things that have happened this season, relying on the veterans, not getting production from the minor leagues, I just think the biggest difference is there are more balls in play that the Giants have to catch. And I think that the ball's a little bit deadened, and so the baseballs aren't traveling as far. Last year, when they hit a bunch of home runs, they didn't hit them especially far as term, in terms of average distance. They were wall scrapers on average, at least compared to the rest of the league. And now those wall scrapers are outs in the gloves of outfielders. And so I think those have been the main contributors to why this team is so different. They have to catch more balls and more of the balls that they're hitting aren't going over the fence. And they're just unprepared for it as a roster, as a collection of talent. This is not a collection of talent that can handle that. And there's no way out of that, I don't think. The only way out of it is to really change the personnel. And that's why, you know, I think they tried to go and get uh, players that, you know, ship a DH or two off the roster. And, and, and that meant Darren Ruff because he's one of the few guys who had some value. And I think they made a good deal with the Mets. Mm-hmm. They got J.D. Davis, who, boy, does he have some easy power. We already saw it on display, taking Clayton Kershaw over the arcade the opposite way. I mean, I don't know if you're watching the game, but Dwayne Kuyper's home run call was, there's a fly ball to Mookie Betts, and, oh, that's out of here. And he even said, that's I got to apologize to J.D. Davis for that really crappy home run call. But uh, that, I, that's, I think that's a, a positive. J.D. Davis looks like somebody who, um, you know, he can play third base. He's, I think you'd rather have him on the roster than... Darren Ruff, who is a, sort of a, a you know a, apart from a Pontiac when you're driving a Buick, so um, so yeah, you know it that that it could be a good deal. Uh, the, they got a couple pitching prospects in that deal too that they liked. A lot of the industry chatter was that the Mets gave up too much in that deal, so. You know, that could be a positive moving forward. But I think the biggest thing is, you know, uh, they, they bring up a Bryce Johnson, who's a guy who can go out and catch the ball. And really, they owe it to their pitchers. I really think it is negligence that they've allowed their pitchers to, to play with this defense behind them for as long as they have. And they're lucky that Alex Cobb is as professional as he is and that Logan <laughs> Webb is as professional as he is. And even Carlos Rodon, who's, who kicked a bat that hit a teammate, is as professional as he is because this could have devolved into a really, really ugly situation um, where, where there's finger-pointing going on. And maybe there is behind the scenes, but they've kept it pretty well bottled up if that's the case. So, um, but yeah, it's just, boy, if you're a pitcher on this team, why would you want to stay? I mean, why would you? Have you looked at Alex Cobb's FIP lately? I have not. Please let me know what his FIP is. Just give me a guess. I don't even know what a good FIP is. Oh, well, 3.58. It's 2.84. Okay. By FIP, he is better than Logan Webb. By FIP, he is an elite starter. And there are times where I see an ERA and I see a FIP and I see a difference and I go, I'm not sure where that comes from. Or, okay, I guess I'll trust the newfangled stats. I know exactly where Alex Cobb, where the difference is with Alex Cobb. I have watched, uh, I think, all 17 of his starts. And there's no mystery. He is not being helped by his defense. And I... It is, I think malpractice is a good way to put it with every time he goes out there and he's got a defense that's just not doing hot. And I, I, that was what to fix. And I guess Bryce Johnson is not nothing. He is a strong defensive center fielder that's going to push Yaz and Slater to the corners. That's where they probably should be. And that's going to make for a, a strong defensive outfield. That's helpful. I, but where's the help on the infield where you have Brandon Belt isn't moving well. Tommy LaStella just can't play defense at all. Uh, I, I think there needs to be a little bit more and definitely more this offseason. Yeah, for sure. And that, that is one one thing that we probably don't talk about enough, which is it's not just the people that they've missed to the 
injured list, but it's the people that have been out there that haven't been healthy. I mean, Brandon Belt is not moving well at first base at all, and he's gone from being you know one of the best defensive first basemen in baseball to another defensive liability. I mean, I hate to to put it in stark terms. It's not like he's he's uh, not putting in the work and the effort, but it's just his body's breaking down, and um, and it's been hard to watch. So. Um, yeah, you know, it's, it, it really is a situation where they, they, their biggest strength is their ability to get ground balls and keep the ball in the ballpark. They're elite at it, and they're still, you know, fifth in the majors in wins above average as a rotation. I mean, that's the number one thing that the teams want to do is get that kind of contact. And they have not leveraged that as a strength at all. They've turned it into a liability and, and flipped around into a huge weakness and an area of... Um, of, of instability, and you know, it's it's really cost him. It's probably going to end up costing him the entire season. Yeah, it is. When I was writing my article about uh, the Giants and uh, what they need and all this stuff, I was looking at the comparison for the batted ball data that the pitchers allowed last year versus this year. Because I had a, a wacky theory that the Giants were giving up harder contact this year, and with more balls in play, that meant more balls were going to fall in. It's the opposite. They're, they're giving up softer contact. They have the lowest ground ball rate in baseball by a bunch. They're not just number one. They're number one with a bullet. Uh, they are averaging, uh, they have the lowest distance allowed. They have every status is boom, boom, boom. This is a team that should be getting out. And they're not. They're just not. And look, that's the story of the season. If you're going to pivot, that's how you pivot. You pivot toward the defense. And I don't have an easy answer. You've got Brandon Crawford for another year. You can figure something out at third and at short or at third and at first, uh, second base. I guess you have a whole infield to work with, but that's that's the play. Yeah. You know, I mean, we, we talked so much about all the different ways that they were galaxy brained last year. And, and one of them, uh, you know, toward the end of the year, I had an interview with Brian Bannister and he talked about how they kind of, you know, saw the sticky stuff ban coming down and they saw um, that being legislated against and, and predicted that that would happen. And so they went out and they targeted pitchers that weren't necessarily reliant on huge four seam spin uh, and guys who would stand to benefit the most from, you know, uh, using the the banana boat and, and the spider tack and all that stuff. And they went they went for, uh, you know, um, seam shifted weight guys and two seam guys. And, and, and they really kind of felt, hey, you know, pat ourselves on the back. We, we called this correct. We got ahead of this big change and this big trend in the game. Well, you know, this year, the biggest trend in the game was the way the ball was carrying early in the year. I mean, Jason Stark has written about it after years and years and years of strikeouts going up, walks going up, home runs going up. The three true outcomes are all down this year. And uh, I don't know if, if that's a trend that the Giants saw coming, but if it is, they certainly didn't plan for it because they thought they could get through this year with, um, you know, making more concessions to their defense to score more runs. And, you know, by and large, the offense has not been, you know, the, the biggest issue on this team. Although, you know, when they've scuffled here lately, it sure has looked like it. Um, it the biggest thing is that they, they made those concessions to the defense and they probably made too many. And, and, and you know, par- partly on offense, I think that, you know, they, they thought that they could expand Darren Ruff's role and, uh, and, and they'd be fine without going out and getting like a full-time DH or, or somebody else who can mash. And, uh, and that was also another mischaracterization uh, so, or a, a, miss, um, a missed uh, bit of analysis. So, yeah, I, the biggest thing, though, is, is they're hard to watch. Defensively, it's just so hard to watch. And um, when they make a really good play, like Mike Yastrzemski goes in the corner, gets that double out of the corner from Gavin Lux, hits the cutoff man, Wilmer Flores, 
a perfect throw to the plate, even makes sure he gets the one hop to skip off the grass so he gets a nice true bounce to the plate. Austin wins, handles it. They they hose a runner at the plate. They finally get a, a Dodger to score, uh, uh, to, uh, to, to prevent a Dodger from score from first base on a double, which I think we've seen 8,000 times this year. And and it's like, yeah, it's in there. That's great. It's so refreshing to see that. And uh, you're, you're reminded that's what good baseball teams do, and that's what they're going to have to find a way to, to get back to having the personnel who can make those plays again. And about a minute later, they allowed a... Uh hit with two outs to score the runner on second and so uh that was that was funny as well because they are allowing like a 900 ops with two outs and runners in scoring position which isn't great it's not great but if you have made it this far 25 minutes into the bags and frisbee podcast uh bless you because you are a hearty soul and I would like to bring a little positivity and that I am looking at some of the prospects the Giants got back and in isolation. I, I like them. I like the Darren Ruff deal. I think it's a solid move. I think they got a solid return for Kirk Casale, considering he's over 30, a little bit overextended as a starter and, and on the injured list. I like what they did at the deadline. And I just want to highlight before we go that they signed Trevor Rosenthal to a prorated contract and turned him into a decent prospect who was drafted last year, not someone they have to add to the 40-man roster after the season, not uh, someone who's a little bit long in the tooth. They got a solid prospect for Trevor Rosenthal. That's one of my favorite deadline moves that I'll ever see, and I'm not sure if I can appreciate it fully because it's just all the other context, but I love that move. Yeah, I mean, they do a lot of things. Uh, they've made a lot of, of very small incremental moves that have been really, really smart and clever. You know, I, I'm sort of getting on them for not making, you know, clever moves or, or you know, uh, creative moves. And those are very creative moves. But, you know, fortune favors the bold. And at some point they have to make the bold creative move. And that's, I think, what we're all waiting for. We have made it this far uh, without talking about Juan Soto. Is that, are we, is, the, is it going to be kind of like... Uh, uh, where we don't mention him and he doesn't come into existence for the Padres because we are living in a simulation. You're simulated, I'm not. Um, but I did, did we even have to talk about Juan Soto or does that bring him into being? Well, I'm sure the Giants are, are not going to go back to San Diego and oh, wait, no, they are. <laughs> next week, maybe we can save it for next week. We can talk about all the ways that the Giants got Juan Soto out and completely neutralized him and swept the series. I think it's fascinating that uh, Farhan said, listen, we did, we were interested nobody was off limits and i read between the lines as yeah logan webb if you're if you're reading it maybe that's too much reading between the lines but they tried and maybe if this whole sweepstakes happened in the offseason they would have been in a really good spot with luis matos and and all the different uh, prospects they could have offered back in january february but right now they just didn't have the horses and there's just no way to beat what San Diego gave up. Yeah, I mean, it's, it is one thing uh, I think we, we need to say in fairness that it's not a complete, um, I guess, uh, uh, damning uh, accusation uh, to your minor league system to say that you finished second or third or even fifth in the Juan Soto sweepstakes when what it took to get him was probably the biggest haul of prospects ever included in one trade. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, that's, that's the deal you had to beat. And, and so that was pretty historic. And I, I don't think it necessarily is a damning statement that the Giants didn't have the pieces to get Juan Soto. But, um, you know, uh, there, there were a lot of thoughts. Well, maybe they can spin Carlos Rodon for some pieces and then move them uh, for Soto. And, and I, I don't know how far down the rabbit hole they went, but uh, 
Um, I think they got involved a little bit too late in, in trying to move Rodon, so that really couldn't line up. And I think we all kind of knew from the outset that the Padres were the team. They were going to be aggressive. They wanted him. They made their interest known right away. And uh, and obviously, they had the players the Nationals wanted. So I'm not sure anyone else really had a chance here. Yeah, and if anyone's listening wants a little bit of a consolation prize, uh, here's here's my consolation. Uh, I think there is zero chance that Soto signs an extension before it's time to reach free agency. I think uh, Scott Boris and Juan Soto are very committed to seeing just how goofy teams will get in the open market. And bless them, I think they should get uh, be excited to, to see how goofy teams get. And so if the Giants really want Juan Soto, a 26-year-old Juan Soto... I think they'll still have a shot to come in second. Yeah, or, you know, he could win two World Series in the Padres, and then the Dodgers could sign him. (laughs) Oh, man, I keep trying to spin it to positivity, and you keep coming back with the wet blanket bags. That's my job. I'm supposed to be the wet blanket. I, well, we're, we're, I, I guess, uh, I guess, get, get out the garden hose because uh, that's all I'm doing today. Yeah, I can see the Dodgers signing them. Yeah, that's a good point. Oh man, yeah. do you think? Real quick before we go, and we have a whole year to talk about this, give or take. Uh, it, are the Giants going to change their strategy with free agency? Are they going to make one silly move just to, to show the fans, like, oh, we're still in it for any player? Are they going to make one move that doesn't necessarily? play out well on the actuary tables but helps them now i think they'll only do that if um ownership basically tells farhan look you need some more sizzle we need more sizzle here you know and we know that the you know an ownership group and and a team that's been directed by larry bear uh you know they they did chase stars for a long time and uh and i think they've been sort of weaned off that but they're also seeing the value of of having those stars so i i do think that if if varhan loses a speck of autonomy and he's told look go out and get us some sizzle then um then i think he'll 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 do that but um but i would be surprised if he would go out and sign aaron uh judge just to, to get people off his back I, I i think that he's far too pragmatic for that and has been in far too you know secure a position to do something like that um but, you know, I, I, I think it's going to be kind of fascinating to see where they go. And, and I also wonder if, you know, the Giants are really good at market research. And maybe, maybe uh, they've sort of come to a realization that it's just going to take the city longer to come back from the pandemic. And, and we've seen it elsewhere. People say Petco's buzzing, Petco's popping, Dodger Stadium's popping, it's not here. Well, it's, it's not completely a function of, of where the teams are and who's playing for them. It's also just where the cities are. And um, San Francisco's taking longer to come back from the pandemic. Maybe if you're the Giants, you say, you know what, no matter what we do, we're not going to get uh, the ballpark completely 100% full and, and have sellouts and have, you know, 25,000 season ticket holders again for another three years at least. So, you know, why chase it? Why try? Uh, I I wonder. I wonder if that's part of the calculus. All right. Uh, Another word for go get us some sizzle. Uh, Where's the beef? Where's the beef? That's another way to describe what the Giants could be doing this offseason. Where's Mm. the beef? Mm. All right. This has been episode 203 of the Bags and Frisbee podcast. We will be back next week, next Monday, actually. I'm going to be doing a live room where I'm taking your questions on air, so to speak, uh, in place of the podcast. And then on Thursday, we will be back with a regular podcast time. Thanks for listening. I'll see you then. Hey. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.